story. And we have, for 19 months, the better part of those 19 months, outside of a few special days, been working our way through the Bible. We started with the story, the whole Bible in 30 minutes. And today, we're going to finish the whole Bible in 30 minutes. It's the same message that I preached 19 months ago, only different. Because I'm not the same person when we started as I am now. So it'll be different if you heard it before. You, the main points are the same because it's the story of the Bible. Outside of that, um, I'm sure it will change along the way because it's always evolving. The whole Bible in one message in 30 minutes. What can you do in 30 minutes? Well, you can sit down and you can read several chapters in the Bible in 30 minutes. You can watch a television program, but only one in 30 minutes, unless you're a guy. <laughs> Ladies can start and finish untold numbers of projects in 30 minutes. If you're a business person, you can return a bunch of calls in 30 minutes. Dick Johnson? Dick? He, he returns his calls. He puts right on his... If you're calling me, I will return this call. I check my messages twice a day, and I will... 11.30 and 4.30 are when he returns calls. If you call him, he's not going to talk to you during the daytime unless he's recalling back when he's got 30 minutes twice a day. I know that. 30 minutes! Could you think that you could tell everything in this book if you had the opportunity in 30 minutes. Uh, some of you, I know Phil couldn't do it because he can't preach in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I hardly do it in 30 minutes. Because when you begin to talk about the Bible, the Bible is such a huge book. So let me refresh you about the Bible for a minute. 66 books, 40 authors, penned over 1,500 years in three languages. There are 1,100 chapters in the Bible. There are 31,000 verses in the Bible. There are 800,000 words in most translations of the Bible, give or take. So to tell the entire story in 30 minutes, it would be like a documentary in fast-forward motion. But it's our goal, so buckle your pew belt and get ready. And uh, Mars, you want to come help me? all you need to tell the whole Bible in 30 minutes. We're going to start on the left side, we will finish on the right side, and when we finish, you'll have six illustrations, six acts that are everything there is from cover to cover in what we call the Holy Bible. The Bible does have a beginning. 
It's like a great playwright. You've got to start somewhere. Have you ever walked into a movie and you missed like the first five minutes and then you're trying to figure out what's going on? Well, you may catch up, but when you miss the first five minutes, wow, you're just kind of like all over the place. Well, I wonder what happened. Or who is this? Or why did they say that? Or how come this is going on? And because you missed the beginning, you're kind of lost for the whole thing, but you paid your money, so you're going to sit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen way too many movies starting in the middle. Thank God for On Demand. I can go back now and I can watch it. I have my own DVR and I can pick it up. Okay. Act one. You can get your Bible on if you want. I'm going to test you all in just a minute. Some of you know right away what the very first verse of the Bible is. Not the chronological Bible, because if you read the chronological Bible, it's a little different. The chronological Bible will start out in John chapter 1. It will start with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... That's where the chronological Bible starts. But for most of you that are starting in the book of Genesis, and looking at the story from Genesis being the book of beginnings, through Revelation, anybody want to quote to me? In the beginning. In the beginning. Who? God. Uh, now, just in case you thought that you were all of that in a bag of chips, if you can find your name right there in that first verse, I want to know. Because it doesn't say, in the beginning, George. It doesn't be say, in the beginning, Dan. I wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't say, in the beginning, Stephanie or Joan. Oh, dear chagrin. Oh, my. What? Okay, if you can find it, you let me know. No, because you weren't, and he was. In the beginning, God did what? Yeah, then there is a listing of what he did in one week. In six days he does, and on the seventh he rests. And at the end of Genesis chapter 1, you have the makings of the perfect earth. All of the heavens, everything that was, is, and will ever be. Flying in this space, you've heard my illustration before. God spoke, and at 186,000 miles a second, light came from his being, and it's never stopped. And every time he spoke, the word became <clears throat> From what is perfect, then we're introduced to the first family that would live in the perfect world. Given names of Adam and Eve. They live in great perfectness. That every day, God comes down in the cool of the day and sits down and says, Adam, how you doing? <clears throat> Eve, what a great world this is. Something changes. Something dramatically, adversely changes. When you get to Genesis chapter 3. Still all in the first act. Still in the understanding that God has done everything. It changes with a pick and a bite. It's pretty innocent, isn't it? 
bite in the bite, innocence is lost forever. Romans chapter 5 says, verse 12, Through one man, sin entered for all. Everything changed with a bite. Sin. What was perfect is now out of balance and is imperfect. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. God covers them with skin, and they understand that they are naked. From a bite. In a moment of disobedience, eternity changes. <clears throat> Over the next several chapters you will find the perfect family. It doesn't take God long to bring judgment with a consequence. The judgment after the bite is that they must leave the garden of perfection and be on their own. Once they're on their own, the two sons that are born war with each other. For the wages of sin is death. The first murder occurs. They were just going together to worship. The first murder occurs. Innocence gone, sin is entered covered with skin. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there never is forgiveness of sins. So God begins not only this step of creating, He puts into play redemption. It's the grand story of something that God is trying to do God stands in between what has been created in perfection and now what is overwhelmed with sin, a bite. The consequence enters. Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is the story of God creating the human race. Genesis chapter 12 and on, God is now talking about the Hebrew race. God. God not only sets up the plan, but when man rebels against God, God steps in and gives his better plan. Redemption. From a pagan man by the name of Abraham, who in obedience to his own father follows and then has his own crisis of faith. And makes faith in God his own. He begins the long line of what will eventually be known as 
Hebrews, or to us today, Jews. Hebrews. Abraham, Sarah, and a son, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac has Jacob. Talk about Father Abraham with many sons. He has a son by the name of Joseph. Joseph serves in the land of Egypt, elevated to prime minister. Then there is a Pharaoh that comes along who knows not the God of Joseph. And those that have come as refuge now turn into slaves. And for 400 years, between the end of the book of the Genesis and the book of Exodus, for 400 years, these Hebrews are slaves in the land of Egypt. A guy comes along by the name of Moses, who one day stands before his relative, Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds from the throne room, There are ten (coughs) corrections that are sent to the land of Egypt. They're plagues. And the ten corrections end with the firstborn, regardless of race, regardless of stature, regardless of livestock, the firstborn is called for in the ultimate sacrifice. Except for a group of Hebrews, slaves, who were instructed to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, without spot, blemish, to sacrifice it, take the blood of that lamb, and put it on the doorpost of their homes. It's known as Passover. It simply is when the blood is applied, the dead angel that would come that night would, at the sight of the blood on the doorpost, pass over that home. Today, that table is known in one side of the world as the Seder table. We have our own. It is made not with any nails. It is made just from driftwood and straw and string. It's put together much the way that the very first table of sacrifice would have been done 3,500 years ago. Riverwood, put together, easily taken apart, nothing to do but throw it in the fire and let it burn. From the moment of introduction... The Passover is a shadowing of what is to come. It's the answer that God gives in the plan of redemption. It is the call from God through a transforming moment that takes everything wrong in us and allows him to pass over by taking what's wrong and making it right. There are 
prophets, there are priests, there are judges, and there are kings that are all about leading on this road of redemption. It goes on, and then suddenly, out of disobedience, God stops talking to man. 400 years again of silence. In a most unusual way, in the most unusual place, in the, light, in, in the, the least likely of places. It wasn't in a Hilton, and it wasn't in a hospital. God's divine son comes to the planet to make not this time sin entering with one man, but through one man now redemption comes ultimately for all past, all present, and all future. Born stable. Born a teenage mother and a carpenter dad. Born the first of a blended family, the ultimate blended family. Named in a dream. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Bible says that as he grows, everywhere he went, he did good. The blind saw. The leper healed. The dead came back to life. He even declares on many occasions that those who follow have their sins forgiven. <clears throat> and then in rebellion, frustration and jealousy, he's nailed to a cross. Crown, stripes, side pierced. <clears throat> Put into a tomb, declared dead. Dead on the first day. Dead on the second day. But on the morning of the third. Two of those mourners show up and are greeted by two angels. With a question, the angels speak. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you not know he is risen just as he said? For 40 days, he sees his followers. And then on a mount called the Mount of Ascension. You can go there today. You can travel out of Jerusalem, go through the Kidron Valley, you go up the hill walk across the plain, go up a little further, and there you will find the Mount of Ascension. He then declares in a moment something unusual is going to happen. He instructs 500 who are watching him leave to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to the room where he is betrayed, to go back and stay until they are endued with power. And ten days later, after he ascends, church is born. The church is born with tongues of fire. The rushing mighty wind. A man stands up who has been one of the betrayers. One of those that deny and said, 
This Jesus. You crucified him. But he is alive today. This Jesus. And that day, the birthday of the church, 3,000 people go on the rolls. And the first church of Jerusalem has a beginning. And a roll and a roster. Now they eat in common. They pray in common. Day in and day out, they learn the apostles' doctrines. Though the church is for the next 150 to 200 years consumed with prejudice and prosecution, the church today around the world still has that, 2,000 years later. But I take you for a moment to a phrase that Jesus spoke before he ascends. When he does, he says he will. And he has told them many times that he will come again. The angels then declare it also. This same Jesus that you have seen go, you will also see him come again. Scientists aren't going to clone him. Academics aren't going to outthink him. Bankers aren't going to outfinance him. Religions aren't going to duplicate him. This isn't going to be a likeness. This is going to be the same Jesus that we have seen go, we are going to see come again. Which has been the hope of the church. And the ultimate hope of the church is that one day there is going to be a marvelous banquet. And we will sit and ultimately we will all exchange our robes that have been tattered and torn our robes that have uh, ended up with some holes along the way and gotten a little dirty. Our feet that are uh, pretty weary from walking. Sometimes wandering. No less than the Jews of old who took 40 years to go a four-day journey. We will sit and have cord of redemption wrapped around our necks. What was once crimson and red now is white and pure. See, if you know the entire book and you miss Jesus in it, you miss the whole point. Years ago, first one I ever heard do what I'm about to do was Oral Roberts. I don't know where he found it, but it's been used time and time and time again since then. Because it describes Jesus in every book. The one who is the Son of God, who was the plan from the beginning, not a plan B, not a plan C, not an Oh no, what am I going to do now? Jesus. Jesus who came to redeem the creation of God. Though man rebelled, Jesus was the recipient of the plan of God. It was in his mind from the foundations of the earth. God initiates redemption. God and God alone accomplished redemption. He's the one who gave his son for us. John 3.16 he loved me so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe would never perish but have life everlasting. 
God. God gave birth to the church. And it will be God who completes redemption at the end. So may I read who Jesus is in every book. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the scapegoat. In Numbers, he's the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of refuge. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread on Rahab's house. In Judges, he is the perfect judge. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, the trusted prophet. In 2 Samuel, the true son of David. In 1 Kings, he's the promise keeper. In 2 Kings, he is a jealous God. In 1 Chronicles, he's the reigning king. In 2 Chronicles, he's our deliverer. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls. And in Esther, he's the Mordecai at the gate. In Job, he's my redeemer who lives today. In Psalms, he's the Lord who is my shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, our true satisfaction. In the Song of Solomon, he is the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, the righteous branch. In Lamentations, the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man who walks in the furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who restores. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty judge. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. In Micah, he's our peace. In Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the Lord in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the Lord of hosts. In Zechariah, he's the fountain of the cleansing. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, the promised Messiah. Mark, the faithful servant. Luke, the friend of sinners. John, the son of God. In Acts, he is the one ascended on high. In Romans, he's the justifier. 1 Corinthians, the righteousness. 2 Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort. In Galatians, the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's the all-sufficient Christ. In Colossians, he's the fullness of God. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the Lord coming down from heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the judge coming with blazing fire. In 1 Timothy, the mediator. 2 Timothy, our master. Titus, the blessed hope. Philemon, he's the one who paid our debt. In Hebrews, he's the great high priest. In James, he's the judge standing at the door. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, the morning star. In 1 John, the word of life. 2 John, the son of the father. 3 John, he's the truth. And in Jude, he's the Lord coming with countless thousands of his saints. And if you were trying to figure it out and you haven't yet, in Revelation, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And of his kingdom, there will be no end for he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. For he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. There's the Bible in didn't think I could do it, did you? <laughs> Actually, I think I was 34 minutes. I didn't make it. Take my, take my introduction off, then you'll make it. Fine. Amazing what a bite will do. Wouldn't you ever thought that a bite changed the world? You call it sin. Maybe it's easier to call it sin than call it a bite. Because when you call it a bite, then you've got to go back and name what it really was. 
It's easy sometimes to call what we do wrong just sin so that we get rid of it. Oh, it's sin. Oh, God, forgive me my sin. It's so much sin. And we never own up to what we did. It's just easy to say, it's all sin. A bite taken in dissatisfaction. No, the real sin is the sin of not being content. They had everything in the garden except one tree. So they want the one thing that they can't have. Discontent. I don't know what sin is in your life. I can call it the big word. The uh, slithering serpent seduces, overwhelms your senses, and you fall into sin. <clears throat> but there's a lamb from the foundation. <coughs> when John sees the Lamb, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. I like to refer to the Lamb, and you hear me often refer to the Lamb as the sinner's Savior. Because that's what I am. That's what you are. We have taken 36 themes, 36 chapters in the story to take you from what wasn't at a point of beginning to what is and a great future that awaits. How many want to go to heaven? Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Everything we know about heaven, you can read in about eight minutes in the Bible. I always, I, I'm, I'm astonished at that fact. About eight minutes, that's, you can read it all. Take all the verses on heaven. The best part is not what I know, it's what I don't know. But what I do know that makes me want to go there is that is where Jesus is. And his promises to one who was on the side with him that day. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Gracious God, We don't want to miss the main point of why you gave us the Bible. It's all about Jesus, your Son, the sinner's Savior. It's all about your plan. It's all about history of how it began and how you moved in the lives of people that weren't any different than us. And then Jesus comes along. Your Son, Jesus, 
the incarnate of God, Jesus, became flesh and lived amongst us, Jesus, who lived, died, descended, rose again, ascended, and sits at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. For the grand plan that you give us in your word, playwright of the universe, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. Jesus. Incarnate of God, Jesus. I, I, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today that uh, you don't leave us without a road book and you don't leave us without the resident agent of the triune Godhead, Holy Spirit. So in this moment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I can't close today without inviting you to not miss the main reason of the book. Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know him to be the one who has forgiven you, can write your name in his book called Life, and that allows you then to live with him forever, that he will walk with you and help you today. Jesus, the one that can forgive your past that you can't get out of, uh, the one that, that can cleanse you and make you whole. Jesus, I can't do it. Psychologists can't do it. Drugs can't do it. Drink can't do it. Relationships can't do it. Only Jesus. And you're here in the house today, and you just simply raise your hand and say, Hey, Pastor Danny, pray for me. I need to know Jesus. I need to know Jesus. I need to know Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. You're here today, and you're like, Finally, making sense. And I get to see the whole picture. God, I thank you that you are in the house today. That you are in the house today. The, the, this hour and a half hasn't been in vain. It's, it's not been a blessed me party. It has been a moment where eternity hung in the balance has changed forever. So thank you, Jesus, for being the sinner's Savior. Thank you, Jesus, this morning, for being the joy of our future. <clears throat> The one that we long for, Jesus. Thank you that you make your word plain for us. It is the lamp and the light to our pathway. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love y'all. Bless y'all.